Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Hello. The other day I was going through a few boxes that I've got different things in, a few mementos, a few things I'd saved, and I found some old press cuttings as I'd collected. One of them, I'd kept it so as I could reply to the journalist, telling me he was wrong. He'd written to say that he'd just done a, a challenge of a run of 50 miles and he'd done it in about 14 hours and he wanted to claim it as a record. He said nobody had ever done anything like that before. I was sorry to tell him he was wrong. And his 15 hours was by no means a record. We'd got a lad at school of Hungarian extraction who'd done it in 6 hours 40 minutes. I don't know how he did it, and I was there. Apparently this all started in the late 50s, probably early 60s, when we had a lad called Arthur Till at the grammar school in Lichfield. Very good at cross-country, won everything in the school's cross-country. He was out one day training on Whittington Common, near the local Whittington Barracks, a few miles outside Litchfield. And some soldiers saw him, asked him what he was doing. He said he was training, said what he was. They said, well, are you any good? Yes. And they said to him, yeah, you might be good doing six or seven miles on a school's cross country, but I bet you couldn't run 50 miles like we have to do. And apparently he stood there for a while and he said, yeah, I think I could. I'd give it a go anyway. So they said, well, I bet you couldn't do it in under 12 hours. I will. I'll have a go. Find the route and we'll do it. Well, bless him, Arthur set off and he did it. And he did it in under 12 hours. And this became a little bit of a, a folklore at the grammar school. And every year thereafter, there was a a commemorative run, the Arthur Till Marathon. If I remember rightly, I think the lads had to be over 15 to take part. But it was all organised, the route was published, and they, they set out to have a go. Now each runner had to have a manager. Somebody who could go round in a car, make sure they were alright. So we had to go round, meet the runners, go in front of them, watch them come past, make sure they were all right, hand out any bottles of water or anything that they needed. Then after they'd been gone a little while, drive on and park up somewhere in front of them again, wait for them to run past. If any of the lads succumbed and had to say, that's it, I've had enough, I can't go on, we'd pick them up and ferry him back, take him home. Well, I did this. I was a manager for three different lads over three different years. Um, the, older, the older pupils who were qualified to drive had either got a, a car of their own by then through doing part-time work like I did, or they borrowed one and became managers. We started off in Litchfield, early in the morning. 
on a Sunday, so there wasn't so much traffic. Thinking of which, I don't know whether they still do this run or not. The traffic's got faster and got busier. The roads have been made more for traffic rather than running alongside. Anyway, they set off, followed the A38 up to Burton, then turned off the road and up through Tutbury and Hatton, then on to the old A50 through Sudbury, past Sudbury Hall. Then when we got there, we turned down towards Utoxeter, through Utoxeter, then back towards Litchfield via the outskirts of Stafford and then down Stafford Road into Litchfield to finish on the Market Square. Now the lads plodded along, jogging along, carried on going, but I must admit that us managers had a great time. We'd arranged to meet at a certain point and we'd have a mini picnic, sit in the sun if it was a good day, listen to music on the car radio, have a drink, then the lads would go jogging past. You alright Al, you managing? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Bottle of water or anything? No, no I'm fine. And we'd watch him jog off into the distance. Then we'd say, right, we'll see you at such and such a lay-by or such and such a point. And off we'd drive and sit and wait for them coming again, make sure they were okay. Over the course of the day, we'd stop at several different places and we enjoyed ourselves. Oh, what's that old castle on the hill there? I don't know. We'll park up and have a look. So in the ten minutes it took for the lads to catch us up again, we walked up the hill and wandered round the old castle, back down to the cars in time for them jogging past. Then we'd set off and meet up again somewhere else. The whole point is that all three lads that I managed did it in under the 12 hours. They were successful. And this cutting was just to say to this guy, yeah, well done, you've done 50 miles, but you haven't done it as fast as our schoolboys did in the 1960s. I did only ever manage other runners. I wasn't an athlete myself. Played a bit of cricket, had to play rugby. Preferred football, but I played, played rugby because I was at the school and it was a rugby playing school, but... I enjoyed it, but it wasn't a game I was passionately fond of. I did enjoy my cricket, greatly enjoyed my cricket, played it away from school as well, but I never played rugby outside of school. But I wasn't a runner, particularly athletics running. It, it drove me daft, keep running round and round the same bit of track. Couldn't do it. But school did instill a lot of other things in me. As I've mentioned before, I became very interested in uh, English literature in particular. Having to study Shakespeare and poetry and different novels, different books by different authors. Even right up into things like Brighton Rock, it wasn't all the old classics, there was some modern stuff coming in as well. 
But one thing that it did do to me doing that course was I had to learn speeches, learn phrases, learn learn quotations and realise that people like Shakespeare and, and Milton in particular introduced new words to the language that weren't around. They they invented these languages. Milton in particular gave us such words as pandemonium, debauchery, terrific, fragrance, healthy, all invented by him to cover what he was writing. And I had to read Paradise Lost as part of my exams. I realised how he worked these words and worked these phrases and it taught me a lot. Hamlet in particular by Shakespeare is full of things that we nowadays quote quite freely. Things like neither a borrower nor a lender be, or every dog has his day, or possibly from the Merchant of Venice, all that glisters isn't gold. That's often mis misquoted as all that glistens isn't gold. But there again, so many things are misquoted. On television the other day, somebody was talking about the proof of things and how how we'll, we will find out. And they uttered the phrase which annoys me greatly nowadays. The proof is in the pudding. No, dear. The comment is, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That is the expression. But so many things are corrupted like that and nobody seems to realise. Another one that happens every New Year's Eve or at the end of the promenade concerts, they sing old Lang Syne. And everybody joins their arms and they're singing away in the chorus and they all go for the sake of old Lang Syne. That is not the words of the song. Old Lang Syne means for old time's sake. So you're singing for the sake of the sake. Doesn't mean a thing. Somewhere along the way it was decided that by popularly, and it was never written down, people started to say for the sake of Old Lang Syne because it fitted the beat of the tune. But to do it properly, it's a double beat on four Old Lang Syne. There is nothing to do with the sake of old Lang Syne at all. But these are just the things that, that annoy me, where people are quoting or doing something and they're getting words totally wrong, but they think they're right. I suppose to a degree I've just misquoted there. I'm thinking what I've just said about Hamlet and every dog shall have his day. The actual quote is that cats shall mew and dogs shall have his day. He didn't actually say every dog shall have his day, that's one that's been corrupted. But then again, this is how things go into popular so-called knowledge or popular assumptions. And it happens frequently. I was reading that in a survey in America, something like 70% of Americans think that Joan of Arc was the wife of Noah. Oh well... Education, I suppose. Things like Joan of Arc don't feature in American history or American knowledge. 
They've only been going for 250 years, I suppose, really. But there again, from what I gather, we don't teach history in our schools now like we used to. We don't go into great detail, apparently. I was talking to my, grand, my eldest grandson and he was saying, oh, we, we didn't do that, we didn't do all the history. We just had certain periods and certain things that we, we taught. As I progressed through school, we started off with the sort of pre-Roman and Roman and then built up. Each year we went further, closer and closer to the present day, going through history piece by piece. Not that I did very well. I'd, I did well on history right up until the last year when it came round to uh, O-levels, the old GCE O-level. I, uh, I didn't grasp the idea of it then. Questions like compare and contrast the events leading up to the French Revolution with those leading up to the Russian Revolution. I could tell you dates and what happened for the French Revolution, and I could tell you dates, people and things that happened for the Russian Revolution. But the compare and contrast bit in those days, I just couldn't get my head round. I just couldn't do it. I could write... I did English grammar, I did English literature, I did English language, no problems. I even passed in French and wrote essays in French. <laughs> I couldn't do it now. But I did, but I just could not get my head around this idea of compare and contrast. I could probably do it now, I've got older, hopefully a bit wiser and understood more about the world and about life, but then I just couldn't do it. I suppose thinking back, I probably paid too much attention to uh, Sellers and Yateman's book of 1066 and all that. An old book written by two scholars that laid out history, but it laid it out in the misconceptions that people have, how they misinterpret things, how they get names wrong, but it laid it out as this was the history, this was how it was. All total, totally, totally silly things really, but you had to have a certain amount of history, historical knowledge to know that they were being funny and they were being clever with it. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. I've got a copy in the house somewhere still. After they'd given each so-called fact of history, they detailed whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. Things like the Guy Fawkes plot and things like that, they, they talked about, but they got the names mixed up or the events mixed up in such a way that it made it funny, amusing. But apparently nowadays it's, uh, from what I gather anyway, it's, it's jumped from point to point. There's no continuous history, there's just selected periods. I know my grandson was talking to me 
not as I was there at the time, but he was talking about the Second World War because he knows I've got interest in those sort of things. I've spoken to veterans of the war. I've, when I was with the Scouts, I went to many a Remembrance Day ceremony, either as a flag bearer or a member of the band. And we, we talked, talked with the veterans afterwards in the British Legion bar or the club room. Learnt a lot from those. And although it was second-hand knowledge or second-hand gossip, I passed it on to him because he was doing it at school. I have a certain amount of interest in the First World War as well, I suppose, thinking about it. I've got some medals from two of my great-uncles who both went over to France and didn't come back in the First World War. I've got their campaign medals and such like. I, uh, a couple of years ago I took them down to the Memorial Arboretum to a little shop there and had them framed and mounted up properly instead of just lying in a drawer so they they have a pride of place on the wall now. One was me, my granddad's brother and one was my granny's brother on my dad's side of the family. Anyway, away from that I'm not going to go down the lines of remembrance and wars, just a little idea of what what the changes are in the way things are done now, the way things are taught. Well, I'll call that it for now. I'm trying to stumble over what to say next and uh, I want to be better than that and not ramble on. So I'll leave you for now. And all I can say is, just be good. And if you can't be good, get more practice. Ta-da!